0: Hey guys, it's He Young. I'm thrilled to announce the UniTalk Challenge, rising stars of Roundtable. Calling university students, both undergrad and postgrad, to discuss and record a topic discussion in English that ignites your passion. Team up with at least one friend and talk about something you truly care about. Submit your entry to EZFM Roundtable at Foxmail.com. The deadline falls on November the 30th. Be the next rising star on Roundtable.
1: Discussion keeps the world turning.
2: This is Roundtable.
3: You're listening to Roundtable. I'm Niu Honglin, joined by Fei Fei and Lai Ming. Coming up, young Chinese tourists have recently embarked on a journey where photos aren't merely mementos, but a bridge to understanding and celebrating the country's ethnic diversity. Just in splendid costumes and adorned with makeup that resonates with specific local traditions, they're taking their travel experiences to the next level. We'll find out what's so special about the ethnic-themed photography and we'll bring you some latest updates about the 2023 Hugo Award winners. If you'd like to find us, just search for Roundtable China on your favorite podcast platforms. Now on Roundtable. The trend of ethnic-themed photographies have sprouted across China social media platforms, as an ever-growing number of young Chinese tourists are now embracing the opportunity to have their photos captured in ethnic costumes during their travels. What fuels this fascination with ethnic photo shoots and what lies ahead for this great emerging industry? Because I remember, like, 20 years ago, I've tried this on a, on a mm-hmm. huge square with very modern, even for today's taste, very modern constructions uh, around, and I was dressed up like this Qing Dynasty princess, hopefully not a maid, but with that chi pao costume and really not really good makeup as a little girl and mm. again stand in the middle of a very modern setting taking pictures with a tiny little red dot in between my eyebrows for some reason and it, <laughs> it was not a very pleasant um it was exp- not
1: pleasant it was i, I bet it was pleasant b- for your parents
3: I know, that's the thing. I didn't love it quite so much. And on top of photo taking, I didn't actually experience anything. But apparently, it's becoming a trend. Is, is this something new or the same as what I experienced?
1: I, I think it is almost something the same as we experienced. I, I think I remember going to a photo parlor or a photo studio, and really, uh, my parents... Picked on my behalf the costumes <laughs> that I was supposed to wear, and then the photographer um, helped me pose in specific positions and then take a very awkward position, in my opinion. But then we we took photos that uh, all adults were uh, happy with. So um, and this is uh, something uh, we meant to to bear in mind as souvenirs, as memories, reminding us of uh, the bygone years. But then I, it's, it's different in the sense that uh, um, we didn't get to post them on social media. We didn't have them back in the, in the days. And now social media has uh, sort of driven the, the, the trend for more uh, special costumes and more special photos. And as such, um, young people are looking for something that is out of the ordinary and completely different from what they wear on a daily basis.
0: Well, but I think for me, I think the experience will, is definitely different because you are from
1: an ethnic group.
0: I am. I am. <laughs> it's just um, from my limited traveling experience as a child. Um, I also took a, one of those photos, dressing up as a man, man, uh, man, ethnic group princess, but sitting y- on are. a throne, and you know the costume doesn't didn't fit, and the 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 makeup. I don't. I didn't really remember the makeup. Is that? Good. It's just more lipstick, like some lipstick, a mm-hmm. red dot, and the, the 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 foundation's so light it doesn't really fit my skin tones, and the only thing you do is really sitting on that throne, and we didn't you know pay much left left to learn that a princess sitting on a throne back in the Qin dynasty. I bet you
1: looked m- much more beautiful than the princess <laughs> for real back in the days because uh, it's just modern China is uh, yeah, but, but, you're but more developed.
0: But now it's more perfect. Personalized, like for example, if you go to Xi'an, uh, which is now famous for the Tang Dynasty-themed uh, costumes and making makeup, it's more um, authentic in a way that they incorporate a lot of elements actually from the Tang Dynasty, and you can actually choose because the 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 makeup and the the costumes of the Tang Dynasty also differs from time like when the the earlier period of the town dynasty, the way they dress up is very different from the later period of the mm-hmm. town dynasty. Okay. So you can choose from which kind that you want to be dressed up with.
1: It's several hundred years apart, so yes. it, it, you're supposed to see some difference and, in the style the of makeup. But the
0: fact check is really good. I yes. like that. <laughs> and the makeup is really, really good, even though with close-up cameras and with minimum Photoshop, you can still t- tell that they put a lot of efforts and time and professional skills into this makeup. It's not like a simple red dot between your eyebrows. And so you it.
1: you would be a much happier young girl putting yeah. on these costumes yeah. than oh. then you were as a little girl putting up and then posing as a Manchurian princess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I bought one of those Tan uh, Destiny costume for my daughter. She was thrilled oh. about that costume. Unlike me, when I was, you know, nine years old, putting on that Um, Qing Dynasty princess (laughs) costume and I was like pouting my mouth, pouting my lips and was like, I didn't want to put up this.
3: uh, I know. I think the improvement is on quality, on the uh, level of different choices you can make and also the overall experience make you. And one very important thing is because I myself have uh, tried some of the themed costumes, costumes, when i'm growing a handful (laughs) yeah when i'm when i'm actually growing up and the thing is i don't do the posing and photo in a modern setting anymore. I am actually blended with the environment. Mm -hmm. I am, for example, if I'm in Xi'an, I'm dressed up and also go travel in the ever-bright city. Yes, it's a tourist destination. Yes, the constructions might not all be old and authentic. Yet you get to be immersed in the environment. You get to enjoy or at least imagining yourself living in the Tang Dynasty and you would dress up like this. You would buy some snacks, as the people in that era would do. And the whole experience, I believe, is one of the reasons it drives people to follow and chase this trend.
1: Mm-hmm. And by the way, the reason why we associate Xi'an with the Tang Dynasty was because Xi'an used to be the capital city of a uh, Tang Dynasty, the Tang Empire. I think it was uh, the 7th century through some 11th century, if I'm if my memory serves. So uh, here here is why, right? Tang yeah. Dynasty and Xi'an <laughs> Tang then, Dynasty and Xi'an And then of
3: course uh, The Dunhuang is another very important site Right not only because the costume there can be really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, because
1: yeah, Dunquan is different in the sense that it's uh, located on the Silk Road and it's, uh, it's a place where different cultures come together and, and converge. And so you have um, Buddhist-style sculptures and very, very colorful uh, um, color themes, in fact, uh, for excuse me for for the lack of vocabulary, but it's very very uh, beautiful and magnificent. A lot of the uh, flying apsaras, um, f- uh, flying apsaras is a symbol of the Dunhuang art, and they are scattering all the five hundred grottoes of the Dunhuang area. And these are actually uh, goddesses or goddesses or fairies. Mm-hmm. If I'm fairies. not being uh, yes. extremely uh, prudent with the words, so they they are goddesses or fairies of music and dance. Mm-hmm. So they're being featured on, uh, at these uh, sculptures, and they used to be very very colorful, and they they represented the, the height of people's imagination uh, back in the day. So and and then they come together with the fusion of different cultures is it, a is is a unique spot uh, both in, in geography and and also in culture in history so you, if you travel there if you want to pick up, um, put on local costume I guarantee you're going to get uh, an entirely different experience than you do uh, going to let's say uh, the plateau of Inner Mongolia trying <laughs> to pose as a, as a Mon- Monchurian Uh, or Mongolian princess.
3: In the same time, I don't think we should belittle (laughs) the Mongolian. You're right, you're right. (laughs) Because different places definitely have different characters. For example, Shanxi province is not a place with a lot of, or at least not extinctive ethnic groups. But if you're there, you get to dress up like a, let's say, a girl Born in a wealthy family whose main business is to, you know, doing business around the country. And because we were famous for that, well, soft, by saying we. Was
1: it? Sold,
3: selling different and then things fur,
1: trading with, and uh, also banking
3: system in in mm. Shanxi province. And the thing is, well, by saying we, because I'm from there, it's my hometown. And the reason um, you would enjoy yourself in that scenic spot is that not only do you get to listening to the stories of the tour guides, you can also again dress up like a local mm-hmm. and have local food and learn about local living habits. Mm. And that's the I think that's what people are chasing after nowadays. Yes, it uh,
0: actually helps with you understand the local cultures, especially very pre- pleasantly that I found that recent in recent years on social media platforms, people are realizing even within the same ethnic groups, there are different tribes. Mm-hmm. So that's leading up that's to the case different with costumes. With Mongolian people. Yes, we have more than 20 different tribes and the way people dress in for example in the western part of Mon- in the Mongolia is very different from um, how people dress up in the eastern part of Mongolia and now with people traveling to these different cities and counties and banners in within the Mongolia people are realizing that you know Mongolian costume may not only have one style it actually have more than 20 or even 30 different styles and you can try out any type that you want and the same is happening with other um, ethnic groups within China for example within Tibet and within Xizhang and people there also have different costumes. It's not just one simple one, uh, mm. type, We style. try different ones. Yeah, we try different, <laughs> like people in Linji would be dressing up very differently from people in Lhasa. Mm. So this is a way for people to understand the diversity within the Chinese cultures. And I think social media also helps with this But then at the same time, I think some of them are being over commercialized.
3: Mm, At that some point. Could mm-hmm. definitely be a problem. Actually, some sites are overcrowded, and even though the really good ones are providing people with authentic experiences and different styles of clothes and makeup, there are some one that are trying to, you know, merely make money and give people the relatively, it's like uniform. It's not, I don't think we can call them costume anymore. They're all the same and they're worn by so many people on the same day that's not okay but apparently that is not going to last if you run a business like that you cannot make long term money you can only make short term money which is not what merchants want so that. but then is, again
1: some would argue that if you work at a tourist attraction most of the people are going to be here once in their lifetime so they're, you're not going to get returning customers and
3: that is the beauty of social media with social media being very developed in the country many people started to post their stories and experiences experiences online. And before going to these destinations, people would check their social media platforms and realize which ones are the good ones, which experiences with great experiences and great choices. And those kind of spots would get, let's say, much more prosperous, which is why I am quite looking forward to this industry to boom in the future, to be better and to provide me with more choices. And yeah, right. better traveling. <laughs> I
1: think our people are more culture-oriented these days, and they're more—they're better informed and, and better educated with regard to the distinction between uh, the tiny little differences within the same culture. I think. Um, Fefe mentioned something about uh, more than 20 tribes in for the Mongolian people. The same applies to uh, people in in southern China. The ethnic groups. Sometimes you you uh, cross a mountain and then you come to a different um, tribe, and they have a different style of dressing. Maybe it's in the way they wear their hair, or, or maybe it's in the, in the way in the symbols that they have on their pendants or their their talisman or their lockets. So they they use these symbols to tell each other apart back in the days, but now, with tourists paying more attention to these little details, these distinctions, it show, It goes to show that people are more culture-oriented, and then they, they take this into consideration when they travel, and they take into consideration when they decide what to wear and what to pay for. Mm,
3: and hopefully this industry would continue to develop and boom, and when I am ready to travel around, I get to be someone else. On a daily basis in different places. And I would love for that to happen. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, the 2023 Hugo Awards were a night to remember at Chengdu WordCon on October 21st. Roundtable has caught up with some people in the know for exciting insights. Don't miss this exclusive peek behind the scenes. Stay tuned.
2: Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West and understanding is the goal.
3: It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, Neil Honglin, Lai Ming, and Fei Fei. The winners of the 2023 Hugo Awards, the world's top prizes for science fiction literature, were announced on Saturday night with Chinese author Hai Ya taking home the Best Novelette Award for the Space Time Painter. And actually, we've got winners from uh, four categories are from China. We've got the Best Fan Artist, Richard Mann, and also we've got Chinese fan magazine Zero Gravity newspaper, co-founded by Riverflow, and Lin Jin uh, won the Best Fan Eyes Award, and also there's the well-known computer graphics artist Zhao Enzhe won the Best Professional Artist Award. So many awards have been uh, taken away by Chinese artists and magazines and editors, and it's been a great, let's say, event for China, because this is also the first time a Worldcon has been um, hold here in China. And we earlier talked to many interesting people, actually, like we said, people in the know about the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what what's your impression on the Worldcon? To start with, because I mean, I know you're a great fan of science fiction.
1: Right. I, I, I. When I was younger and had a lot of spare time, I used to watch a lot of science fiction movies and read a lot of science fiction novels. And Hugo Award was a big deal in the people among people who are science fiction fans, and uh, it was a big deal in the sense that. Uh, when you have a, a, an award-winning um, book or a story it's guaranteed to be both um, entertaining and also thought-provoking um, in fact um, I, I I think I spent time um, seeking out award-winning books to read and I, I would strongly recommend to all of you to if you were science fiction fans like me to seek out the winners uh, of Hugo Awards um, and then I think Hugo Award really uh, became a lot more well known in china because uh, i think liu Xing, chinese yes. science fiction writer uh, won the award for his work a uh, three, three body problem and, and all of a sudden, uh, people are paying a lot more attention to science fiction. I think Marvel Studio did a good job because a lot most of the movies were about science fiction. Uh, uh, Iron Man, uh, Doctor Strange, um, a lot of them. So they did a good job. And then here, over the past few years, here in China, the movie industry has uh, moved ahead a lot. And we are now in a position to make... Very, very good science fiction mo- uh, novels, uh, science fiction films like *The Wandering Earth*, also by Liu Cixin, uh, adapted by, uh, based on his novel. So, um, mm-hmm. science fiction is picking up, and um, I, as a science fiction fan myself, I'm very, very happy to see. Oh, in this that happening.
3: sense, I think it's a pity that you didn't get to go to the WorldCon this year, no. because apparently, according to Robert J Sawyer, the canadian science fiction writer who is also uh the let's say the guest of honor one of the guest mm-hmm. honor of this year's worldcon the situation with WorldCon has been a great success
2: i think this was the best world science fiction convention ever the first one was in 1939 there were a few years that were missed because of world war ii and so forth but there have been 81 world science fiction conventions this is the first one in china but it is also the best of all of them. There's never been one with a big attendance. This is the best attended World Science Fiction Convention. There's never been one with so many different international representatives. Canada, China, Japan, Korea, Spain, Italy, France, Bulgaria, uh, uh, Bolivia, uh, Chile, um, uh, all over the world. Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over the world, Uh, India. uh, They have come here. Uh, Because we share this two things, a love of science fiction and a profound belief that the future is worth fighting for. To make a better future is what we all want to accomplish. And so this World Science Fiction Convention was 100% a success. It's been an absolutely fabulous experience. You only get to be guest of honor once at a World Science Fiction Convention. So this is my one time to do this role. And I could not ask for a better Worldcon to have been guest of honor at. This is the biggest and best world science fiction convention ever in the 81 year history of the Worldcon. I'm so proud to be here in Chengdu, China, uh, celebrating this convention.
3: And Robert J. Sawyer, the Canadian science fiction writer, also one of the guest honors, was not the only one that speaks highly of this convention. Actually, we also talked to uh, Dave McCarty, vice president of the 2023 Chengdu Worldcon, illustrator of the 2023 Hugo Awards com, uh, subcommittee. And he has also got a special perspective in about this year's Worldcon.
2: Uh, it really is a Worldcon that feels like China, and it was full of vibrant young people passionate about science fiction. I I tell you, the everyday groups of school children coming in and their joy and wonder at seeing seeing the convention, it almost made me cry uh, because the passion of young people is what drives science fiction. I've talked with many of the Western fans and guests that are here, and all of them were gushing about how active and engaged and wonderful and young. The community is here. Uh, Getting here on the day, you know, seeing what we've made together is just proof that science fiction fans from all over the world engaging each other cooperatively is the most wonderful of things.
3: That was Dave McCarty, Vice President of 2023 Chengdu Worldcon, and also the reason why I think it's such a pity that Liming Ming didn't go. I can totally imagine you attending such uh, Worldcon and having a lot of fun and also celebrating the winning of the Chinese, um, in a way, I feel like the whole Chinese sci-fi community.
1: Right, right. I've I added a few years since I last had time to really engage in extensive reading of science fiction novels. But really, as somebody who spends so much time and who's been so much interested in science fiction, I, I think I it's... Uh, I can't believe I'm 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 getting this news. It's being hosted in China, and uh, we won so many awards. Science fiction. When it comes to science fiction, is important to know that I think is a is a very important channel for Chinese people to engage with the international audience because it's about imagination. It's about uh, imagining a future for humanity is not about uh, China is not about any specific culture is uh, about we having imagination having hopes or concerns about what's going to pass for mankind as a whole and this is uh, in on par with China's steps in opening up being reform and opening up the reason why we haven't had that much uh, success with regard to science fiction uh, a few decades ago was because we weren't that much in line with the international audience, with the international uh, thinking when it comes to science fiction. But now, with I'm happy to see a lot of the um, uh, authors here in China, uh, Liu Cixin, Wang Jingkang, among others. They they pretty much have all of humankind in mind when they when they are um, producing their content and when they are thinking. So uh, this is where uh, all people can come together and share their imagination and share what they have in mind for the future of mankind.
0: Well, well, that's very, very, very oh, thought provoking in a way. <laughs> but for me, like someone who's never really into science fiction, not a really a hardcore fan is that, I think I get to know some of the famous works mm-hmm. from movies and TV shows and even three body problems is because, you know, a Chinese writer has won this big international award even though I didn't know what Hugo Award was and but then I think for a lot of us is more of an introduction to the world of of sci-fi is I used to be afraid in a way of reading science fiction is because I myself is not into science I can't understand a lot of the physics or the terminology, especially when I was first start to read the three-body p- problem. When Liu Cixin when starts on her, his physical terminologies, mm-hmm. I was lost. But I'm like splitting I, the neutron. Yes, I was like, what's that about? Then I realized, you know, science fiction is more than just the science. It's more about the imagination, as
3: Lyman said, and also what our future could be like. Oh, totally. Actually, I asked that exact question to Robert J. Sawyer. I asked him why should people care about or be hardcore fan of science fiction? And he had some very interesting answer.
2: So what science fiction does is provide you advance warning of changes in science and technology that will affect your life and your children's lives. So way before we had genetically modified food, for instance, and started doing also uh, genetic therapy in human beings, Science fiction writers were talking about that. So when these, as an example, so when these things happen in real life, we who have read science fiction are prepared emotionally and uh, sociologically to deal with these rapid changes, but those who don't read science fiction, there's a term in English called future shock, which is suddenly the future has hit you so hard, it's like almost a physical impact in the face. And those who don't read science fiction are not prepared for these changes. Those who do have the advance warning, and they can be very nimble when these changes actually happen.
3: See, that's a good reason for Fei Fei to become a hardcore sci-fi, let's say, fan as well. I myself have... into sci-fi fiction a little bit I've read I would say um, The
1: Foundation series
3: Yes and I I would say dozens of works not as much as Lai Ming but I have definitely uh, been a fan of Liu Cixin and most of his works and also some other Chinese writers and um, I was wondering about the Chinese writer's future when it comes to become the star of not only Chinese sci-fi community but also the world sci-fi community and Mr. J. Jay Sawyer has also given me a very interesting answer about that.
2: I've been coming to Chinese science fiction conventions since 2007, 16 years now, and I've seen the growth in this genre here in that time. And what the major lesson, I think, is that Chinese science fiction writers do not have to imitate American, Canadian, or British science fiction writers. Tell your own stories that are rooted in the 5,000 year history of this wonderful land. The world is willing to hear those stories now. They may not have been in the past. The West can be very close-minded, but I think, uh, the breakout success of, uh, Lu Shen, uh, Three-Body Problem and uh, Wandering Earth has opened the minds of the readers and the doors for the writers to take over the world from Chinese science fiction.
3: That was Robert J. Sawyer, a Canadian science fiction writer and also one of the guest honor of the year's WordCon. And in today's show we've also talked to Dave McCarty, Vice President of 2023 Chengdu WorldCon. They have all speak highly of the event, which I think truly deserves their praising. And I myself have found this occasion quite interesting and actually encouraging I think for Chinese, not only sci-fi writers, but let's say creators in all aspects, it is the time for them to, like Lai Ming said, start to look at the bigger picture, to take into consideration the entire human community and to make sure that their work reflects not only the Chinese value, the Chinese value for sure, but also the value that all humankind can share. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thanks Lai Ming and Fei Fei for joining the show. Until next time, keep the conversations going and the ideas flowing. I'm Niu Hong and bye for now. Make sure if you like Roundtable, go search for it in wherever you listen to your podcasts.